This is Matthias Horner, director of Warriors Gate, and you're listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Mysterious young man finds himself in jail where his physical and mental strength is put to the ultimate test time and again. And honestly, that's about all I can discern from this film, but we're going to try and make sense of it anyway. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, we dive into the ultra-violent gore and bloodfest that is the story of Ricky. So we're going to do something a little different this week, guys. This episode was supposed to be a Halloween episode, and that'll make sense in a bit. But at the time I started recording this, I landed the interview with Matthias Hona, the director of The Warrior's Gate, and pushed this episode aside to focus on that one. And then the following week, the whole U.S. went a little bit bananas with the election, and things got a little crazy, so I'm playing catch-up. Now, according to Wikipedia, the story of Ricky is a 1991 Hong Kong martial arts thriller film written and directed by Lam Nai Choi and based on the Japanese manga Ricky O. The film stars Fan Su Wong and Fan Mei Sheng, and it had a limited theatrical release in the U.S. in 1993. It's well known for its extreme, brutal, and highly unrealistic violence as well as its high camp factor. And to say that this is a kung fu film is like saying that The Toxic Avenger is a cinematic screed against climate change, but let's run with it, shall we? The film opens up as a prison bus is making its way to home base. A voiceover catches us up on where and when we are. By 2001 AD, capitalist countries have privatized all government organization. Prisons, like parking lots, have become franchised businesses. We cut to inside the prison where the new crop of inmates is being checked in. Here, we meet the titular hero of our story. Ricky Ho, 21 years old, sentenced to serve 10 years for manslaughter and assault. As Ricky walks through the metal detector, the alarms go crazy. Two guards rush towards him and swing down with their batons, but Ricky calmly raises his arms and blocks both strikes. He gets wanded down and the sensor detects some metal in his chest area. The guards throw him against the wall-mounted x-ray where it's revealed that he's got five bullets lodged in his chest. When asked why he never had the bullets removed, Ricky coolly replies, Souvenirs. The voiceover continues with the rattling off of the rules of the prison. The warden rules all, followed by the assistant warden and then a series of four captains, one prisoner from each of the individual cell blocks known as the Gang of Four. We join the prison proper one morning as one of the captains, Samuel, steps into the washroom where several prisoners are already getting themselves ready for the day. He grabs the face cloth of a fellow inmate, but when the inmate casually mentions that the captain grabbed his towel by mistake, his enforcers grab the inmate and throw him against the wall. The enforcers force the inmate down to apologize when a wooden toy train falls out of the guy's robe. Samuel picks up the toy as the inmate explains that he made it for his kid. At this, the captain mocks the guy with some actual welcome information. It seems that the inmate's parole has come through, but just as the inmate begins to celebrate, the captain hauls back and brains the guy with the toy train, smashing it to bits and knocking him to the ground again. Without my approval, there's no probation. You better watch yourself. As Samuel turns to leave, the inmate reaches into his robe again and this time pulls out a wood plane. Not a wooden toy airplane, a full two-handed tool used to plane wood. And this isn't a small tool, so here's the first indication that we've crossed over into cartoon territory because now we've got stuff coming out of hammerspace. The inmate rushes towards Samuel, but he gets tripped up by one of his henchmen. Samuel catches the plane, and as the inmate is standing up, Samuel pushes forward and drags the plane right up the inmate's face, slicing off his nose and digging a deep gouge from chin to forehead. A guard walks in to see what the ruckus is all about, and Samuel flexes his influence and leverage. 
the old man fell. He's old and clumsy. He just fell, you know, and ran into a knife. The guard shrugs it off and leaves, but as Samuel and his goons are walking out, the captain gets tripped up and falls forward into one of the most hilariously bad special effects shots ever. A clearly obvious and poorly made dummy crashes to the floor where there happens to be a plank of wood with nails sticking out of it, and impales his hand and face right onto the plank. As his crew rushes in to help him, we see that it's Ricky Ho who tripped him up. One henchman steps to Ricky and grabs his shoulder, but Ricky turns with a wide-eyed death stare that freezes the henchman, who thinks twice and rushes back to help his boss out of there. The next day, a bandaged and recuperating Samuel is seething over what Ricky did to him. While he's plotting his payback, one of his boys suggests pitting another inmate named Zorro against him. Apparently, Zorro is pretty formidable, and through some backdoor deals with the guards, Samuel manages to get Zorro released from solitary a little early. When we meet Zorro, contrary to his namesake, he's a morbidly obese brute of a man chained up in solitary and looking like he's going to eat the first thing he sees. Elsewhere in the prison, the inmate who got his face shaved is getting some bad news that his probation is being rejected. That night, the inmate is found hanging from the railings, and when word gets out around the prison back to Ricky, he takes it personally. Later, as the body is getting carted away, Ricky stops him and pulls away the sheet, revealing that even dead, the body is handcuffed. He's already dead, so take off his handcuffs. And now we see the first hints of Ricky's strength as he snaps the chains of the cuffs like they were made of paper. He places a restored toy train on the body as it's taken away, and we get the obligatory rage-fueled scream into the air for no reason, especially since Ricky has been in the prison system all of two days or so and has somehow formed a bond with his inmate. Ricky punctuates this scream with a series of punches and kicks that show off a little of his kung fu skills. Later in the prison showers, Ricky's washing up when Samuel grabs a shower next to him. As they wash up, Zoro lumbers in and heads right over to Ricky. Mm. Someone gave me 30 pounds of rice to finish you off and turn you into mincemeat and put you in a pie. <laughs> Fight scene. Zoro launches a punch that sends Ricky flying into the opposite wall. Ricky challenges his ability to see the bounty through, which sends Zoro into a rage. He rushes towards Ricky with his fist bared, but Ricky throws a vicious uppercut to Zoro's midsection that not only connects, but puts a hole in the big guy's gut, wrist deep. We get a close-up of Ricky's fist as he pulls it out of Zoro's stomach, followed by a river of blood and liquefied entrails. They are not shy with the corn syrup here, gang. Meanwhile, Samuel, who just watched his investment get disemboweled, produces a giant nail that he rushes at Ricky with. Instead of any evasive maneuvers, Ricky catches Samuel's ice pick hand with the nail piercing right through his own palm, and calmly bends Samuel's hand backwards, causing the thug to scream out in pain. When Samuel pulls his hand away, we see that his fingers are mangled and bent at impossible angles. Ricky, meanwhile, pulls the nail out of his hand without the slightest flinch. The ruckus brings out a few guards who try to stop the fight, but they arrive a little too late and can only watch as Ricky throws a huge right hook, which smashes all the way through Samuel's midsection, spraying blood and guts everywhere. One of the brave guards, having just witnessed an inhuman display of strength and gore, steps to Ricky with the most dire of threats. Another move and I'll hit you! Ricky complies with the officer's request, but as they're leading him away, another captain stops him and demands to speak with Ricky. He expresses some admiration for Ricky's skills, then mentions that his punishment won't quite be done when the guards are through with him. I'm head of the North Cell. As your leader, after you're punished, we'll discipline you. Ricky, meanwhile, gets thrown into a solitary cell where he waits to meet with the assistant warden. While there, we see the first sign of weakness in Ricky as he seems to react to a pain in his chest. He does some deep breathing exercises and pinches a pressure point in his hand to calm himself down. He starts to meditate, and we move into a flashback where a young, preppy schoolboy Ricky is heading into a creepy graveyard. And in this creepy graveyard, there happens to be a creepy old man who happens to know Ricky. I am your uncle. I have known you since you were a kid, Ricky. According to the uncle, Ricky has exhibited superhuman strength since he was seven or eight. 
There's no explanation why or how, but Ricky responds that since then he's only grown stronger. When he asks Ricky for a demonstration of his strength, Ricky performs some katas, then rushes his uncle, only to be rebuffed with a casual backhand that lays Ricky out. Hurt! Ricky, I'm disappointed. You're still as clumsy as you always were. <laughs> From the ground, Ricky laughs along until he comes to the realization that his uncle knows Qigong Fist. Uncle, I want to learn Qigong. I can help the weak. Please teach me. Later that evening, still in the creepy graveyard with a death mist rolling in on them, Ricky and his uncle begin his Qigong training. Why the creepy graveyard and not somewhere sensible like a gym, you ask? Because a gym doesn't have the right equipment, silly. We follow Ricky as he trains and meditates, all while listening to his uncle talk up the virtues of Qigong. We even see a terribly visualized depiction of the powerful aura generated by the martial art. When you have the energy, you should be able to use it. Now I want you to call forth your energy and break this headstone with your arms and your legs. Remember all that equipment that a gym wouldn't have? Well, this is it. Apparently, to learn Qigong, you need to train with actual headstones and completely desecrate the sanctity of a cemetery and outright disrespect and violate the memories of the people buried there. After showing Ricky just how easy it is, Ricky responds by destroying a nearby headstone easily. The uncle then steps into a ring of headstones in what may be the worst plot design in any cemetery ever, and then proceeds to pick up the headstones and throw them at Ricky. To his credit, Ricky impressively kicks, flips, and punches his way through the barrage and smashes one after another, pleasing his uncle. The next day, Ricky is taken to meet with the assistant warden. We meet the assistant warden in his office as he's getting ready to have a glutton's lunch delivered. In this case, the starter is a mammoth slab of steak which he cuts into using a steak knife and a hook where his left hand should be. The assistant warden, by the way, is played by Fan Mei Sheng, who we saw in the last episode as the beggar fan character, and previously in Drunken Master, playing another beggar character. He's also the real-life father of Louis Fan, who plays Ricky Ho himself. What is the Pottern family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Over Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey guys, this is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Potter Family. Use the hashtag Potter Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter Family, where great podcasts come home. Fan Mei Shang is such a fun character to watch because he absolutely throws himself into any role, no matter how ridiculous the premise. As the assistant warden, he's a hot mess, but he works it. In addition to the hook hand, he's also got a glass eye that he keeps in a glass of water, from which he just drank. When he finally confronts Ricky, he gets the silent treatment, which irks him. Coincidentally, a letter arrives for Ricky, which contains a photograph. He lays the letter at the end of the desk and invites Ricky to take a look, but as Ricky extends his hand to grab it, the assistant warden swings his hook down and digs the double prong right into Ricky's hand. With Ricky immobilized by the hook, the assistant warden starts straight punching Ricky in the face repeatedly. Well, I want to see for myself how tough the man who killed Samuel really is. Ha! 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 Ricky defiantly refuses to answer any of the assistant warden's questions and even spits in his face, splattering the guy with blood. Determined to break Ricky, the assistant warden grabs the picture and we see that it's a photo of Ricky's girlfriend. But now the pic causes Ricky some pain because the assistant warden has just threatened to find her and bring her back to the prison 
so that he can do what he needs to to her. Just keep that plot point in the back of your mind, guys. Now this is enough to get Ricky's blood flowing, and he channels all of his anger into his pierced hand, which he uses to break the assistant warden's desk in half. The assistant warden pulls out a gun and fires, but Ricky jumps into a spin and has grabbed a silver tray, which he uses to block the bullet. The frightened assistant warden backs into a corner and threatens Ricky with death if any harm comes to him. Ricky loads up a massive punch, and he lunges forward but stops just short of making contact with the assistant warden's face, which, using history as a guide, would have put his face inside out on the back of his head. Ricky turns, grabs his girlfriend's pick, and walks out, warning the assistant warden to stay out of his business. That guy can hurt people without even touching them. Just what kind of a demon is he? So at about this point, having learned that Ricky can crush headstones, has superhuman strength, can punch through bone, crush desks, and hurt people without touching them, I find myself asking, why is he still in jail then? Good question. And like this movie, I will neither answer it sufficiently, nor in actuality will I attempt to answer it at all. Back in his cell, Ricky's put away his girlfriend's pick and brought out a flute he uses to comfort himself. Oh, and this one time? At band camp? No, not like that, you perverts. As he plays the flute, he reminisces about a warm day out with his girlfriend, and it's a lovely memory that's broken up by a guard telling him to quiet down. Elsewhere in the jail, the late Samuel's henchman finds himself getting cornered by a bunch of inmates who've just about had it with his crap. With no Samuel to protect him, he's vulnerable and he gets taken to task for his role in killing the old inmate. As he tries to escape up the stairs, he takes a boot to the chest and has to start answering for some of his misdeeds. The henchman tries to bargain his way out of it, but the inmates have brought in an enforcer named Andrew to help settle things. And Andrew here is played by none other than the lizard venom himself, Philip Quo, and he has only one solution in mind. And then I cut you up and give your pieces to the dogs! Andrew produces this huge serrated saw blade of a knife, which apparently not even his fellow inmates were expecting. As they back off, the henchman begins begging for his life while forming a healthy-sized puddle under himself. Andrew's about to slice and dice when Oscar's mute wingman rushes in and takes the knife away. Oscar shuts Andrew's knife party down and reminds him that in the North Cell, he's the ultimate disciplinarian and only what he says goes. He orders that they let the henchman go and to forget about the old man. Andrew foolishly challenges that. Oscar, you say let him go. Let the others go. What the hell are you doing? What good are the rules for? If you can't take a position, maybe you shouldn't be the leader. In one quick motion, Oscar grabs the blade from his mute, wheels around, and buries the blade in the side of Andrew's face. We get a nice long close-up of that shot as the blade is lodged just above Andrew's jawline and the blood begins to flow. As he removes the blade, fountains of blood shoot from Andrew's face, and above them, the assistant warden was watching the whole thing and commends Oscar on his decisive action. He hooks Andrew by the mouth and hauls him away while Andrew twitches and spasms uncontrollably. We catch up with Oscar, except now he's with the assistant warden as they discuss what they need to do next. The assistant warden plans to use Andrew's bait to draw out Ricky. When Oscar questions the endgame, the assistant warden tosses his drink and answers definitively. You must teach those prisoners in the North Cell a lesson. If they all act like Ricky, then I'd be damned! A somewhat sheepish and obedient Oscar nods and goes to leave, but not before the assistant warden gives him a large hunting knife and permission to use it to put on a good show. Later out in the prison yard, we see Oscar sitting on a crucifix crossbar waiting. As the camera pulls in, we see Ricky walk up to the crucifix, playing his leaf flute. Yes, he's playing a leaf. Don't ask, we'll get to it later. Anyway, chained to the cross is a bloody and lifeless Andrew. Oscar hops down from the cross and confronts Ricky. I used to think you were tough, but I have to protect the reputation of the Gang of Four, so I gotta finish you today. Fight scene. So this is one of my favorite fight scenes in this movie. So this is one of my favorite fight scenes in this movie. Ricky barely removes his shirt before Oscar's on top of him throwing hard punches his way. Ricky doesn't counter, and instead ducks and weaves to avoid getting hit hard. This bothers Oscar, but Ricky tries to explain that he wants a fair fight and to just let Andrew go. Oscar's not about to cave and goes hard after Ricky again, this time landing a hard kick to his midsection. 
A crowd has begun to gather outside a fence and they're coaxing Ricky on. Ricky, already bleeding, pulls out a signature move and tastes some of his own blood, which ignites a fire in him and he brings it hard right back at Oscar. He manages to tag Oscar, which prompts the captain to pull out the hunting knife. He swings wildly at Ricky and though Ricky avoids the blade easily, Oscar shakes the scabbard in his face, releasing powdered glass, which blinds Ricky and makes his eyes bleed. The blinded Ricky swings out of control all around him and Oscar sidesteps every punch. He moves in close with the knife and stabs Ricky right in his forearm, digging out a nasty gash and essentially disabling his arm. As Ricky falls to the ground, he reaches around him and feels the top of a drain cover. With Oscar advancing, Ricky elbows down hard on the cover and ruptures the water main, issuing up a geyser which he pushes his face into to clean out the glass in his eyes. And wouldn't you know it, it works. Somehow the water has not only washed away the glass, but it's also healed the cuts on his eyes and restored his sight. A totally nonplussed Oscar lunges forward again, but this time Ricky steps to the side quickly and slaps the back of Oscar's head. But oh, what a slap it was. The slap pulls a Glen Ree and pops Oscar's eye right out of its socket. The close-up of the again obvious dummy with the eye falling out is comedy gold. The bloody eyeball falls to the ground where it's beset by crows while Oscar staggers backward, clawing at where his eye used to be. As the assistant warden arrives on scene, Ricky digs into his arm and starts pulling out tendons, which he holds with his teeth while he ties them together and stuffs them back into his arm. Never mind the gaping hole that was gouged out of him or the massive blood loss. Apparently, if you can just tie your ruptured tendons back together, you regain full use of your arm and magically heal all wounds. A now fully restored Ricky starts advancing on Oscar when Oscar blurts out that he thinks Ricky's alright, and then turns the hunting knife on himself. He stabs himself in the gut and slices to the side mimicking the act of seppuku. When Ricky, in a moment of compassion, rushes forward to catch a falling Oscar, he pleads with him to not do this. But Oscar is not quite done yet. We'll die together. Oscar reaches into his sliced open gut and begins pulling out his large intestine. He uncoils handfuls of intestine, and a surprised Ricky can only sit there as Oscar begins to wrap his entrails around Ricky's throat and squeeze. An impressed assistant warden says what we all were thinking. Alright, you got a lot of guts, Oscar. Ricky manages to punch Oscar away, but the brute just keeps coming. As Oscar rushes in full bore, Ricky catches him and throws him up into the air. As he begins his landing, Ricky throws a massive punch that connects with Oscar's face, and we get a cool x-ray shot of Ricky's fist breaking every bone in Oscar's head. It's a nod to Sonny Chiba in the film The Street Fighter, because Chiba famously used the effect to show his punch destroying an enemy's skull. Probo! Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh... <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tuba Man. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tuba Man. Planets of Miserable Slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. I, I, I really, there's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me and he day? And he just, he only plays it to torment the other slug. Super Bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray, all in the same place. <laughs> Original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keeler or Lil Wayne? Uh huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's Lil Wayne. No, dude. It's Garrison Keeler. Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean, No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it, it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. 
I mean, I watched it. You are literally the <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. The opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, I, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want, if it like comes around, like listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever like off of it. Yeah. Yeah. With Oscar out of the way, Ricky uses his superhuman strength to lift the massive crucifix out of the ground, but it's too late for Andrew. It does, however, rile up the inmates, and they make a beeline for the assistant warden. The assistant warden holds them at bay for just a moment by threatening them with the gang of four, and right on cue, a mammoth of a man steps forward and trains on the inmate closest to them. He wraps his massive mitts on the guy's ears and squishes the guy's head like a grape. This guy's head explodes like that scene from Scanners. Blood and brain everywhere. We then get a quick and dirty introduction to the rest of the gang of four. Ricky, here are some of my friends. The leader on the West Cell, Rogan. East Cell, Tarzan. And here's South Cell, Brandon. South Cell's captain, a short but mean-looking guy who likes to use throwing needles, is named Brandon. Rogan, Tarzan, and Brandon. The assistant warden issues a challenge to Ricky to take on the gang, but Ricky quietly refuses and goes to collect Andrew's body. Not finished trying to break Ricky, the assistant warden even offers him a chance to join the gang. When Ricky turns around, he sees one more inmate who's been watching the whole bloody affair. It's Oscar's mute wingman, who we find out was actually his godson, Alan. Ricky starts walking away and plays his leaf again, which Alan can't help but seemingly admire. Later, we catch up with Alan as he's nearly gone purple trying to play a leaf of his own. Ricky approaches him and demonstrates his talent when Alan breaks down crying. A sympathetic Ricky tries to comfort him, but urges him to go on and conveniently forget that it was him that threw Oscar into the air and turned his skull and brains into jello. Alan then reveals why he's a mute to begin with. He opens his mouth and shows the remnants of his hacked-off tongue. Sensing Alan's loneliness, Ricky reaches into his robe and pulls out the flute. He tosses it to Alan, who's beyond thrilled at his new toy. Alan dances around and plays the flute like he's the next Zamfir or something. Meanwhile, Alan returns the kindness by handing Ricky a handful of leaves. Ricky smells the leaves and is immediately concerned. Ricky recognizes that these are poppy leaves, and when he asks where he got them, Alan points out the West Cell, where West Cell Captain Rogan happens to be lurking. That night, Rogan calls a meeting with the other captains to discuss their poppy farm being found out. They call Alan in to test his loyalty by handing him the hunting knife that Oscar used in his fight. They make up a bogus rule that kin can avenge kin, but Alan is not interested. Tarzan then gets up and pulls back a curtain to reveal the flayed corpse of Oscar lying on a bed. Above him, like some sick wall art, hangs his flayed back tattoo. A distraught Alan kneels at his godfather's rotting corpse, but still won't cave to the demands of the four. Unfortunately for him, it makes Rogan's decision easy. Rogan steps to Alan and takes the hunting knife from him, and using another hilariously terrible dummy in a close-up, flays half of Alan's face off. I'll post screen caps on Twitter and Instagram so you can see just how terrible these props are. Alan's skinned body is left in the prison yard to be discovered by the other inmates, and we overhear why Alan's tongue was hacked off in the first place. Alan's really unlucky. Just as soon as he got here, he saw something he shouldn't have seen. So Rogan cut off his tongue. Now look what happened to him. Ricky joins the scene and asks about what Alan witnessed, but is told to back off because Rogan isn't someone to trifle with. He steps to the body and recovers the flute that he gave Alan, triggering another impotent rage scream. Back in the assistant warden's office, Rogan's now getting chewed out for Ricky finding out about the poppy farm, when Rogan starts to smell smoke. But not just any smoke, the smoke seems familiar. Throwing open the office window, Rogan sees that the entire west cell is on fire. Rogan rushes over to the poppy farm to find that everything is burning. Quick note here, the actor playing Rogan is Yukari Oshima, and she's clearly a woman, but Rogan is a guy, at least the voice indicates that it should be a guy anyway. The bastards, they're burning everything! Yeah. 
are you, Twilopia? No, you're the one. You burned the whole stock. I'm doing everything for Alan. You're dead. Fight scene. Rogan leaps right at Ricky and lands a hard kick to his chest, sending him crashing to the ground. Clearly, he wasn't expecting that. Rogan's kung fu is unorthodox. We then watch Rogan going through some katas and then breaks out a move reminiscent of Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury as his movement echoes around him like a kaleidoscope. He pretty much flies at Ricky and hits him so hard he flies backwards and slams into the wall behind him. The hit really hurts Ricky, and he finds it hard to draw a real breath. I've hit your death spot. You'll soon be a dead man. Meanwhile, as the West Cell burns, the prisoners have staged a riot and are leaving their cells en masse, all with hopes of escaping. The assistant warden's watching all of this unfold from his office when he gets word that the warden is on his way back from vacation and will arrive the very next day. This, not the riot, sends the assistant warden into panic mode. Meanwhile, back in the yard, Ricky's remembering something that his uncle taught him. Ricky, try harder now. You can defeat death. He then hits himself in the chest a few times and somehow counteracts the effects of Rogan's death punch. No wonder everyone has been saying that you're a demon. You can even overcome my deadly strike. As they square off again, Brandon shows up and makes things a little tougher for Ricky. Brandon tosses the needle to Rogan, who redirects it, and it pierces Ricky's bicep deep and hooks in. Brandon presses the advantage, and with the magic of a poorly edited short loop, Brandon throws several needles at Ricky, wrapping him up in strong wire. As Rogan moves to grab Ricky, Tarzan shows up and puts Ricky in a headlock while he grins darkly at Rogan. Ricky can't die right now. I still haven't fought with the bastard yet. Huh? Tarzan, are you out of your mind? While the captains bicker over who gets to kill Ricky, the PA announces that a zero alarm has been called and that anyone not in their cells before the alarm sounds will be gunned down. Rogan wants to finish Ricky off quickly and get back to their cells, but Tarzan really wants to fight him. While he's holding Rogan off from taking Ricky, the prison guns begin firing, forcing the gang to scatter and find cover. Ricky and Tarzan head inside and duck into a small room that's monitored by a camera. Just as Tarzan is ready to throw down, a small panel opens up and wet concrete starts pouring into the room. Ricky quite easily breaks the bonds holding him, but can't do anything about the flood of concrete that's surrounding them. He tears the camera off the wall and, with no eyes on him, he rushes right into the big metal door that shuts them in and barges right through it as if it were made of tissue paper. The assistant warden who's been watching Ricky from another room heads out to meet him. Ricky's covered in concrete and he's carrying Tarzan on his shoulders, but somehow still finds a way to threaten the assistant warden with going public about the opium operation, before popping a bag of the evidence into his mouth. The assistant warden isn't scared off so easily, though. Once the cement dries off, he won't even be able to move his toes. And right on cue, the cement seems to harden around Ricky and Tarzan, and they both topple backwards down the stairs. The assistant warden heads down and destroys the evidence. Well, there goes the evidence. <laughs> Clean the cement off Tarzan. As for Ricky Ho, after I deal with the warden, I'll take care of him. <laughs> now at this point, with Ricky incapacitated, and after all the bad news that Ricky's been to the opium operation, and having already seen that the guys who run this prison have no problem randomly killing anyone who gets in the way, you'd think that the assistant warden would just order the guys to shoot Ricky and be done with it, right? Of course that'd be silly, because... Logic, 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 logic. The next day, the assistant warden prepares for the arrival of the warden who pulls up in a stretch limo with his bratty behemoth of a kid in tow. This kid's like five foot eight and is like a cross between Augustus Gloop and Violet Beauregard, especially with the snotty way that he treats the assistant warden. To show off just how spoiled this kid is, as they're all walking into the prison, the kid trips and falls and starts to cry. When his father turns around, he blames one of the hapless inmates for not securing the red carpet firmly enough. The warden punishes the guy by jabbing the sharpened end of his cane into the inmate's eye socket and pulling out his eyeball. Subtle, but effective. This is Adam. And David. And Kylan. We are the Mike King's podcast. A podcast about... Kentucky life, games, movies, TV, 
pop culture, current events, news, things that trigger us, life stories, sex, and overall life as a millennial. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and on Twitter, all at the Mike Kings. Give it a listen. I promise it's good. Later in a debriefing, the assistant warden has to deliver the bad news that there's been a fire and the opium is all gone. This sends the warden into a rage that causes some serious heart palpitations. However, the only thing that'll make him feel better is to apparently deal out some punishment to the one responsible. We move over to a cell where Ricky's chained up, still covered in hardened concrete. Ricky wakes up and flexes off the hardened cement, then reaches through the bars and starts choking the warden. Before he can finish him off, though, Tarzan busts through the cell wall like Kool-Aid and knocks Ricky away, still spoiling for that fight he didn't get to have. As the warden sits down to watch the brutality, Tarzan throws Ricky against the bars and snaps a few bars off, bending them around Ricky's arms to secure him. Alright, so we've now seen that Ricky can bust through iron doors, and Tarzan can bust through concrete walls, and bend the jail cell bars with ease. Tell me why again, why either of these guys are still in jail? Anyway, Tarzan starts to beat the crap out of Ricky. He then grabs Ricky's head and starts to squeeze, and the warden expects Ricky's head to pop like a Gallagher watermelon. Instead, Ricky rips away from the bars, turns, and throws a punch so hard at Tarzan's arm that it sends the bone right through the skin. With another taste of his own blood, Ricky goes all Iron Fist and lands an uppercut so devastating that it shatters Tarzan's jaw and rips right through to his upper lip. This punch sends jawbone, teeth, parts of Tarzan's tongue, and so on everywhere. But not one to be put off by a missing jaw, Tarzan cocks back and throws a counterpunch which Ricky meets fist to fist, but Ricky actually punches through Tarzan's hand, exploding it off Tarzan's wrist. His fingers land in a bloody pile while the assistant warden loses his mind. Oh no, get up! You're really useless. I was betting on you. Ricky pleads his case for some humane treatment when the ceiling of the cell, which is mounted on some kind of hydraulic system, begins to press down. All of a sudden, not so superhuman for some reason, Ricky struggles to keep the ceiling from squishing him. And the assistant warden asks the main question I had from the beginning of this movie. Ricky, what are you trying to find out here? What do you want? Ricky, meanwhile, is able to save off the ceiling a few times, but when it finally looks like he's got nothing left to give... The warden steps forward with a stun gun and lets it rip across the bars. The lightning arcs around Ricky and he drops to the ground with the ceiling coming perilously close. But hold on, Tarzan is not dead. In fact, he's bracing himself against the ceiling and is keeping it from coming down on both of them. And more inexplicably, despite missing his entire lower jaw, he's able to speak. Warden, can you see that I'm still in the cell? The assistant warden coldly explains that Tarzan's not much good to him now, and this exchange gives Ricky enough time to roll forward and simply bust through the cell bars. Again, something that he probably should have done a while ago, don't you think? Ricky turns to Tarzan and tries to help him out of the cell, but apparently he just cannot get it done. As Ricky watches, the ceiling comes down and all that's left of Tarzan is a faded photo of Tarzan with his family. They all have relatives awaiting their release. How can you use them and then discard them like they're some dirty rags? But before Ricky can go any further, a panel opens up on the floor and drops Ricky into a pit which must be lined with some kind of adamantium vibranium alloy because Ricky does not bust through those walls for some reason. We know this because the next day, Ricky's chained up in a dugout pit where he's sitting calmly. The other prison inmates are lined up around him and apparently the only direction for all these extras was to gesticulate wildly with their right arms and mumble incoherently. The warden shows up and instructs every inmate to shovel some dirt onto Ricky to bury him alive. If, through some miracle, Ricky manages to survive seven days being buried, he can go free. The inmates protest, but that gets quelled quickly when the first two inmates are gunned down for not complying. They all apologetically begin burying him slowly. The warden sticks a bamboo breathing tube into the hole with Ricky just to taunt him further. 
That night, with Ricky buried deep, the inmates are commiserating when they hear the leaf whistle from under the ground. After a few whistles, though, Rogan pops up. Literally, she pops up out of the ground for no reason and kicks at the guard dog stationed by Ricky. He kicks so hard that he rips the dog in half in the most realistic carnage in the movie thus far. Though, come on, that's not saying much at all. Brandon also pops up, and they quietly destroy Ricky's breathing tube. Underground, we see Ricky close his eyes, and we get to a key story point in a flashback. Ricky's girlfriend's walking home one evening when she spots a drug deal going down. She turns to run, but is accosted by one of the dealers who abducts and drugs her. As the gang leader is trying to rouse her, Ricky's girlfriend wakes up screaming and rushes out of the room and onto the roof where she keeps going. She launches herself off the roof and lands hard on the pavement several stories below. Or at least that's what the obvious dummy is meant for you to think. Either way, Ricky's girlfriend dies from that fall and you know that she's dead because her shoe flies off as she lands. Now remember that plot point up earlier when the assistant warden was holding that picture of Ricky's girlfriend? What was the point of that? Anyway, Ricky identifies the body at the morgue and goes off in a blind rage out into the streets to find the gang leader. By the way, this drug lord is no one we've seen in the story yet, and as far as I can tell, has no tie to anyone in the prison where Ricky's staying. Which naturally begs the question, why is Ricky still in this prison, and why is he so hell-bent on righting the prison's wrongs to help these inmates? Okay, put aside the logic buzzkill for another second, and Ricky advances on the drug lord who whips out a gun and starts shooting. It's these five bullets that are lodged in Ricky's chest, but they don't even phase him. He pops off a flying kick that catches the drug lord in his shins, breaking them backwards and dropping them to the ground. Ricky lets off a hard punch which lands on the drug lord's temple, causing it to cave in grotesquely. Though by this movie's standards, it's merely a flesh wound. I assume it was this crime that landed Ricky in jail, though honestly who can tell at this point. We cut back to the prison yard seven days later where the inmates are once again waving their right arms for no reason. An excavator is brought in to dig Ricky up and to absolutely everyone's surprise, Ricky is still alive. As he dangles from one of the excavator bucket's teeth, Ricky wakes up and easily snaps the chains that have been binding him for the last week. Guess he didn't think to snap them before today. While the inmates are celebrating Ricky's superhuman strength, the excavator lurches forward and knocks him to the ground. Rogan leaps out of the cab and catches Ricky with a flying kick to the jaw, knocking him out cold. Wait, what? Ricky wakes up yet again encased in another secure lockup made out of bent rebar and chains. You were growing opium here. You're all nothing but killers! I guess this is where we're meant to see that this is why Ricky's doing it all. To root out the rampant drug problem in this prison. The very same problem that killed his girlfriend. The same problem that could have been wiped out with a few better placed punches. Maybe. But let's table that for a second. Ricky gets roughed up by Brandon while the warden questions him over and over again. Ricky refuses to answer so Rogan steps in with a handful of razor blades that he stuffs into Ricky's mouth and secures shut with duct tape. Rogan proceeds to slap Ricky around to make sure his mouth is nice and chopped up. The warden rips the tape off and leans in, which of course gives Ricky the chance to spit out the razor blades, which embed themselves all over the warden's face. The day I reveal to you my secret will be the day you die! <laughs> Guys, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this right now and tell you there is no secret. I doubt that Ricky even knows what this secret is, because we never find out what it might have been. Somehow it got left out of the script. That evening, Ricky's once again bound by chains. Because this time they're going to hold him for sure, as another inmate sneaks him some food. Samuel's henchman from earlier in the film catches the inmate and rats him out to the assistant warden, who hook-drags him over to Ricky's cell. He knocks on the door and peeks in, only to find that, surprise, the chains are empty and Ricky's nowhere to be seen. Since the walls are still intact, the assistant warden is baffled at where Ricky could be, so he steps into the cell. Ricky, who's been clinging to the ceiling, drops down, and he is slightly pissed. Samuel's sidekick rushes Ricky, but with one right hook, Ricky lands a punch that, in a very literal sense, 
knocks the guy's block off. Okay, maybe not that literal, because technically it's only half his block. Ricky punches just the top half of the henchman's head cleanly off the lower half, and we get a gratuitous shot of a cranium filled with half a mashed brain to drive home the point. Ricky then steps to the assistant warden and connects with a punch to the face that merely pops out the one good eye left in his head. The guards arrive to corral Ricky, but not before he rushes over to witness the last words of Freddy, the inmate who snuck him some food. As Freddy dies, the other inmates all galvanize around the sad moment and turn on the assistant warden as he tries to escape. They corner him, and the newly emboldened mob begin to chop the assistant warden to pieces. Guards in riot gear show up and begin beating one of the inmates down until Ricky steps in and punches clean through the guard's armor and right out the back of his uniform. While the inmates charge the guards, Ricky goes over to what's left of the assistant warden and demands that he be taken to the warden himself. The warden, meanwhile, is touring the kitchen and flexes his muscle against a complaining inmate by pushing the inmate's arm into an industrial meat grinder. As he tosses the guy aside, the assistant warden gets thrown through the kitchen wall, followed by Ricky himself. The warden, upon learning that his jail is under siege, whips out a mammoth pistol and threatens to start killing the inmates there in the kitchen. To protect themselves, the cons pull the bloodied mess of the somehow still alive assistant warden in front of them as a shield. The warden shoots anyway, but the gun's ammo doesn't tear through the assistant warden. Instead, it causes him to inflate uncontrollably until he explodes in a gory mess. Kind of like that scene in Big Trouble in Little China when Thunder puffs up and explodes. To complicate matters, Rogan and Brandon show up to get in their final licks too. Fight scene. Rogan and Ricky bounce around the kitchen with a fairly traditional kung fu fight until Ricky backs into a boiler. Rogan tries a flying kick that Ricky sidesteps, and he chops down on Rogan's leg and cuts it clean off. Brandon tries to escape, but the warden shoots him with his magic gun and blows him up too. With two more champions out of the way, it's up to the warden to clean up this entire mess. Final fight. Ricky Ho, let's see if you can deal with me. You think you're real tough. I'm a lot tougher than you think. The warden of any prison has to be the very best in kung fu. Now, if anyone had offered this kind of kung fu when I was a kid, I would have studied the hell out of it. Because in this cartoon future, kung fu means mutating into some kind of gross, snotty, hulking beast about ten times your current size. The warden begins to shake violently and starts hulking out into this thing that honestly looks terrible, but is amazing if just for the absurd humor of it all. The skin of this costume looks like one of those big, air-filled sumo Halloween costumes, except with plastic abs and lots of snot and spit. Ricky is, of course, unfazed, and tastes his own blood again to summon his superpowers, and then launches a punch that tears right through the Warden Beast's gut. That doesn't have any effect on the Warden, and he returns fire with ease. Ah, your strength doesn't even come close to mine. <laughs> Don't you get it? We're from the same school of martial arts. At this point, Ricky hears a flashback voiceover from his uncle that gives him some much-needed insight. Or something. Chigun feeds on strength and gets stronger and stronger. Now, because I'm still trying to make sense of this movie, I figure Ricky's going to pull a Jet Li here and switch to a gentle fighting style to weaken the Warden. Silly me. Apparently, it means that Ricky should feed on the Warden's strength to augment his own. And because there's only four minutes left in this movie, Ricky does exactly that and punches another hole in the Warden Beast's chest, lifts him up over his head, and throws him into the meat grinder which slowly consumes the Warden Beast, even though he fights back until there's just a head left. And just like that, Ricky wins. He grabs the Warden Beast's severed head and heads out into the courtyard where the inmates are still fighting with the guards. Ricky holds up the Warden Beast's head and stops the melee in its tracks. He tosses the head away and then runs full speed into the prison wall with another Iron Fist punch that tears the entire wall down. You're all free now! 
And with that, Ricky walks through the wall and off into the sunset, followed by the dozens of presumed murderers and killers in that prison because somehow this is a good thing? Alright, so this movie won't win any Oscars and probably would take home a ton of Razzies, but it one of those cult classics that you have to watch out of sheer fascination, and honestly, I did find myself laughing more than I thought. But don't spend any money on these guys. It's all over YouTube, so grab a few buckets of beer and sit back and let the madness wash over you one night. And by the way, I'm not the only one who gave this movie a run-through. Go and listen to the Cult 45 Podcast Episode 4. These guys put on a great show, and they love the movie, though I have a feeling it's also for the morbid fascination with how over-the-top violent and ridiculous this film is. It's worth a watch for sure, but don't expect anything that makes sense. Just have fun with it. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Big shout-out to the Potter and family for all the great shows that have gotten connected through that hashtag on Twitter. Follow me there at Kung Fu Drive-In, same thing on Instagram, or Facebook, or just drop me an email at KungFuDriveIn at gmail.com. Until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Some action, drink a little wine, we get drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's swamp. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we get drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's swamp. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. I see the iron fist in bunk from the daily prayers. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea roaming over the land. Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older than wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to raise jars. Fight for the cars, then pass here the blast. On the end, back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster. The channel little drink because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time in China, Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie Chung is finer. Golden Swallow has arrived. Chan Chi movies will the hero will survive. We got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain, gonna fight. May as well be the spot. Yeah, the sky goes black, cut the vampires back. We got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all to so stand back. He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shao in the mountain style. Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles. Blood will spill now on the mountain tops when we bring back the soul of the legendary pops. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. See, it's a game of death, yo. You're facing the big boss. It's once upon a time in China, counting the TikTok. The show. Gun assassin slash and blood just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow But she is in the dragon, but in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall No fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless, unleashed The fist of legend that the car jelly I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get it drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine